welcome to the Nerd Party. It's not working. How long since you've cleaned the heads? The what? The heads. Do you have any alcohol? To drink? What? No, no, to clean it. Check the tracking. The rental place closes in two hours. Shut up, shut up. It's working. Time for a retro perspective. Hello and welcome to Retro Perspective, the show on the Nerd Party, where we take a look at all of the movies released 25 years ago this week. I'm Mike. I'm the ghost of Del Griffith, and Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> and is that is that from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? Darn tootin'. I just saw that movie for the first time last week. For the week. first time? Yeah. No kidding. Don't, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't damage my heart and tell me you didn't like it. No, it was fine. Oh, it's more than fine. No, I mean, it was funny. It, it was weird, though. I mean, because, like, the reason why they were showing it was because it was edited by Paul Hirsch. And he's got, like, a new book. Yeah. So he was doing, like, a signing and stuff. Nice. Yeah. And uh, so he was talking about it. And it was weird because they were saying, like, oh, it was him and John Hughes' son mm-hmm. up there. And, you know, at at first, you know, they give a little introduction and they're like, how long was the first cut of this movie? And he's like, oh, it was two hours and 45 minutes long or wow. three hours and 45 minutes long, something like that. It might have been three hours and 45 minutes. And, you know, he's like, we had to cut a lot of stuff. We had to get it down, you know, blah, blah, blah. And there were scenes in there where I was like, oh, clearly something was cut out here. You know, oh, this was there's definitely something missing here, you know, and 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 some of them, it, it made sense. Like there's the the scene where they're in bed together and he's like, you he's like, sorry yeah. about the beer, you know, and he's like, well, what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> yep, that, that was actually a scene which was shot, you know, and they're like, we we didn't need it. You know, it's funny yeah, exactly. just to hear them say it. And I agree with that. Yes. But like the scene right before that where like Steve Martin's taking a shower and then he comes out of the shower and mm-hmm. like the the uh, bathroom is trashed. Yes. Like there was a whole bunch of stuff where like John Candy was in the bathroom like flossing and stuff like that. And then, you know, the gag is he comes out of the bathroom or he comes out of the, the shower and finds the, the bathroom trashed. Yeah. But like, how would he not know that the bathroom was trashed if he was just taking a shower and John Candy wasn't in the room? I never cared, but I always sort of rationalize it that like maybe when he first got in the shower, John Candy was, you know, he was like, oh, I'm just going to duck in for a second, you know, sort of thing, Uh, you know. Didn't and if they would have left that in, you know, and then also uh, another thing, like in that scene, the guy who steals their money. Yes. Like he was a pizza delivery guy who came in. But like he says, like in the the first cut, that scene in the hotel room was originally 40 minutes long. Yeah, which is entirely too long. Yeah, yeah. He said he told a story about how um, they watched the first hour and a half of the movie and then the, the first cut, you know, him and John Hughes, they watched the first hour and a half of the movie they went to lunch. They came back, watched the second hour and a half of the movie, and it ended. And John Hughes turned to him and said, "It's too long." It's like, yeah, yeah. It's going. Anyway, soul of comedy is keep it brief, right? Yep. Keep it short. Keep it simple. Yeah. So, no, I, whatever. I, it was fine. But you know, everyone's like, "It's the best Christmas or Thanksgiving movie ever." And it's not. Contagion is the best, followed by Zack and Mary make a porno. Okay, first and foremost, no, Zack and Mary is a garbage movie, and I will die on that hill. Okay. That's really good. No. It's No, it isn't. No, not in the least. It is not. No, Zack and Mary, no. Uh, I've never seen Contagion, but I know it's a Soderbergh movie, so there's a handicap coming in on that one. Right? Is it actually set on Thanksgiving? Yeah. Okay. Over the Thanksgiving holiday. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, well, I mean, that would make sense because if you're talking about disease vectors, Thanksgiving with all of the travel would be disastrous right. uh, for everything. So, yeah. Right. No, I, I still have to see that, and I haven't. But, yeah, Plane Strangers and Automobiles, come on, man. Like It's good. I watch it once a year every year. Like It's, it's, it's like It's a Wonderful Life where, yeah, I, I could, I'm sure I could go at it with like a fine-tooth comb or whatever, but that emotional shot of adrenaline that it gives you that that happy great feeling at the end like it, it's so 
it's so worth it. Like every single time, like it, it just, it, it's such a life affirming sort of movie. Like I just, I, I adore it. And I've, um, I know there was also something cut that I never knew about for a long time. There was always this hint of a black eye that John Candy has uh, when they get the truck from the police station after they've been, their car's been impounded because, you know, they got pulled over by My- Michael McKeon. Mm-hmm. And apparently there was a whole thing cut where uh, Del Griffith got out of the car, started harassing Michael McKeon, and Michael McKeon punched him in the face and gave him a black eye. And then they go to the police station. There's more with Michael McKeon. And then Dell comes out and he's like, oh, you know, I got the thing. But that all got cut so that it's just, you know, cut to the police station and then they get in the truck. I think it just yeah, flows he, so much better that way. He, he said a lot of that stuff was lost. He also said he, he went into pretty great detail about how the ending was completely changed after the fact. Good. Because originally, like, they they go and, and they get on the, you know, uh, Steve Martin gets on the train, the L train to go home. Oh, yeah. And then he gets off of the train and John Candy is there at his, in the suburbs, John Candy beat him to the train station. Mm-hmm. And that scene that they have where, where he goes back, like that scene originally was supposed to take place at the train station in the suburbs. Yeah. And then John Candy gives like a four minute monologue about his wife. And then Steve Martin says, okay, and takes him home. But they were like, this isn't working because, you know, it seems like John Candy is begging to be taken home or whatever. And then also like Steve Martin doesn't like come to the realization on his own, you know, that sort of thing. So they repurposed the footage. They didn't reshoot anything, but they repurposed the footage, which was used in order to make it look like Steve Martin's back. Which leads to a beautiful uh, film flub because they just reversed the film of the train. And so the the train's coming back in on the wrong track. Yeah. And Steve Martin's hair is actually flipped when he gets Uh off of the train. But you don't care. Because it's in the moment and it works really well, so it's it's just like um, you know mistakes like that. You just look past them, right? Because it's like on uh, Mustafar when Anakin and Obi Wan are fighting, and you know they they have the the cut back and forth of Anakin choking Obi Wan, and, and Obi Wan's got you know a saber in his hand, and then it like switches to Anakin's saber, then it switches back to Obi Wan's saber. It's like a, a little editing flub, which you think would have been taken care of in a special edition thing or whatever, but. Um, it's because originally like it was, you know, break free, get the other saber, knock Anakin's saber out. And so, and they were like, ah, this is taking too long. So they cut it down. So, and they were like, yeah, it's fast enough, whatever. And it is. And it's just, you know, film is just about moving it as quick as you can. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Come for the 1994 discussion. Stay for the planes, trains, and automobiles talk. You're welcome, everyone. Yeah. There you go. Anyway. All right. So. Let's talk about uh, November of 1994. Let's. November 1994 when they thought all the awards winners were going to be released. Yeah, yeah. We'll get to see some of those. Uh, Starting with November 11th, there were two movies which came out. Mm -hmm. First up, uh, number two at the box office with $23.4 million and 74% positive on Rotten Tomatoes, The Santa Claus. Yes, sorry, Tim Allen. Tim Allen's big break from TV to film. This was his mm-hmm. stepping stone to stardom. Yes. Uh, did you see this when it first came out? No, didn't see it till many years later. Yeah, I didn't see it when it first came out either, even though I did contribute to the box office uh, for this movie. Because you bought a ticket for the Santa Claus and snuck into Interview with a Vampire? No, no. I went to see Star Trek Generations on opening night with uh, the science fiction fantasy club from school. And I I vividly remember us getting to the front of the line and one of the kids saying 13 tickets to Star Trek generations and gave them our money. They got the tickets and then we're like, okay, theater number two. And we go over to theater number two and it's like empty. And we're like, what's going on? And we realized that that was for the Santa Claus. They had punched up tickets for the Santa Claus for all of us. Oh, no. 
so then yeah we ran into some projectionist he's like just go to the other theater so we all just went to see star trek generations but our box office went to the santa claus so and that's 13 tickets you you help you helped uh make tim allen a star yeah well done mike well done that's not yeah anyway so i didn't see the movie until just now i watched it in 4k uh on disney plus there you go it's like the the third thing that i watched on disney plus that 1994 gristmill cg from from uh disney movies really holds up well in that 4k hdr doesn't it yeah the transfer actually was really yeah. good it was a lot better than most of these <laughs> transfers i, I agree that we get. yeah i agree actually um but yeah did you watch it for this of course i watch okay. it once a year every year the santa claus i do okay so so you watch planes trains and automobiles for thanksgiving and then Correct. the santa claus for christmas yeah, Santa Claus is in rotation. It, it's not every single year because there are so many Christmas movies that one must get to over time yeah. that it's sort of like, you know, I, if you average it out, I read the book Dracula by Bram Stoker. If you average it out, like, quote unquote, every year. But in reality, it's like every other year sort of thing. But it, it's just it might as well be every year. Sort of. OK. All right. So then what do you think about the Santa Claus? Oh, I think it's charming i think it's cute i think that it's i mean it's a fun little disney movie it's a fun movie to watch with your kids and it's really interesting just in terms of um through the prism of how sort of like the family drama is shifting around this time like with mrs doubtfire and everything dealing with the idea of the split family and so you know that it's sort of a re-examination of the role of the father in a changing world in a lot of ways. And I know that seems like an awfully deep read for the Santa Claus, but it's right there in that as the zeitgeist is, is changing. What do you, what did you think of it with your first viewing? You know, I was looking forward to it cause I had never seen it and I love Christmas movies and everything. Um, but it didn't work for me. I, I thought the premise was kind of ridiculous. I mean, I, I understand, you, you know, know, it's about Santa uh, Claus, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. But you know, just sure. the idea of like, Oh, we're going to figure out how to make this work. And that's the way they figured out how to make it work. It didn't work. You know, I didn't think it was very funny. Um, There was just nothing about it that, that hooked me. And um, yeah, I didn't like it. I'm sorry to hear that because I do like it. I did like it. I do like it. I think it's fun. I do. And I think Tim, I think Tim Allen is funny too. And I, I even think that, you know, judge Reinhold is funny. I think the whole supporting cast is cute. And, you know, get a kick out of it. The sequels are garbage, but this one's cute. This one's good. When when I was a projectionist, we got a... a, Now, now what was Santa Claus 2 is... The Mrs. Claus. And then Santa Claus 3 is the Escape Claus. Is, yeah, with uh, Martin Short as Jack Frost. Okay. So, uh, So, we got a trailer, a teaser trailer for Santa Claus 2 really really early and it was for santa claus to the escape clause mm. and that movie it was del- it was before they even started shooting it and it was delayed and delayed and delayed for years and then when it finally came out it was it had a different title and everything but there there were trailers out there for santa claus to years before the thing was even shot with a different title. The Revenge of the Jedi of the Santa Claus trilogy. Yeah. 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 And and uh, also the the can for Santa Claus 2, I believe, when it finally did come out was the 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 film can was the had a uh, note to projectionist stuck inside for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, which we were able to peel out and is now framed and hanging on my wall. So, so they had just reused the can. Yep. And you were and you were like, oh yeah, this note is a great collectible. Yeah, twenty three years later or whatever. Cool. We found it. Yeah. yeah that's so, pretty neat. Yeah. Anyway, um, so there was one more movie which came out on November eleventh, and it was number one at the box office with. $46.1 million, so mm-hmm. twice as much as the Santa Claus. Yes. And 62% positive on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. 
Interview with the Vampire, The Vampire Chronicles. Which I swear to you, I do not remember The Vampire Chronicles being on the title card when it first it came out. It might not be. I'm not sure. Did you watch it? Yeah, I rewatched it for this. I saw it in the movie theater. I was a fan of the books just like everybody else on the planet. So was The Vampire Chronicles on there when you watched it this time around? Yes. When I watched the the home copy this time, yes, The Vampire Chronicles was on it. And, and I'm sure that it was there before because there's no way that they would, you know, put that there as if to say there's going to be other ones once it was on home video if it wasn't that way originally in theaters. I don't know about that. Okay. I don't know about that. But right. it doesn't matter either way because it was supposed to be the launching of a franchise. You know, mm-hmm. and it was, you know, you had your hot new star, Brad Pitt, had your hot established star, Tom Cruise. You know, by, uh, you know, a director who was making a real name for himself and, you know, a, uh, Kirsten Dunst in a breakthrough performance. Like, this is what put her on the radar and everything like that. Yeah. Um, did, did you see it when it came out? No, I saw it uh, maybe about 10 years later. And okay. uh, I was really looking forward to it because of Neil Jordan and all that stuff. But in the end, I did not like it at all. So instead of revisiting it this time around, I opted for the Santa Claus. Uh, Mm. But yeah, what do you think about it? Uh, Well, rewatching it, I remember at the time thinking it was good, but not great. And thinking, you know, it's, it's inescapable when you've just read the book because the adaptation is coming out at the time. Everybody was caught up in, Oh, well this was different and that was different and this was different and that was different. And this time, it's been so long since I've either seen it or read it. I was like, okay, I'll come at this fresh. But there are so many things that are affected and questionably staged and don't flow very well. And it's a shame because there's a lot of great photography. Um, There's some good music. Although what's interesting about the music is that... um, the music is actually um, sort of sounds at points like uh, Batman Forever. Which was it Elliot Goldenthal? I sure it was. Sure yeah. it was. It's it's sort of like recognizing a James Horner score where you're like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, okay, that's the type of cue he's going to use <laughs> later on too. Um, There's like parts where like people are just randomly dropping pieces of metal. <laughs> no, th- this was uh, that that sort of like little f- horn flare that mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, it, it's it's fine to borrow your way of sort of like throwing <laughs> a backhanded compliment at something, but it's not particularly engaging. Um, Brad Pitt's performance as Louis is very affected and Christian Slater was brought in because it was supposed to be River Phoenix who played his part. River Phoenix, obviously being dead, wasn't able to play the part. And Christian Slater just doesn't work particularly well um, in the framing device, which is, you know, Louis giving this interview and everything like that. And it's so, I mean, it's just overall clunky and not really, if anything, it exposes a lot of the shortcomings of Anne Rice's story as opposed to enhancing them. And, um, also, you know, I'll never forget, she took out that full-page ad blasting them for casting Tom Cruise as Lestat. And, uh, you That's know. smart. Well, and then all of a sudden, you know, oh, it was about to be released. Oh, I take it all back. It turned out perfectly. It was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's okay, but this is, this is still in that era where Tom Cruise is still trying to find his footing as the well-respected actor as opposed to the box office actor. And... Um, so I, I don't think the part fits him particularly well. He does a couple of scenes really well, but overall it's just me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, so for the week, I think we would both agree probably, I don't know, that Santa, the Santa Claus is the way to go. I definitely think the Santa Claus is the way to go. Okay. So uh, next week we had a Wednesday opening on November 7th, November 16th. Coming in at number 14 at the box office with $80,000 and a 92% positive on Rotten Tomatoes, Heavenly Creatures. Yes. Directed by Peter Jackson. Mm-hmm. 
starring mm-hmm. Kate Winslet and I think probably her first big role. Yeah. Uh, have you seen this? I have not. I haven't either. Yeah. Uh, it looks cool. Kind of a horror-ish type of movie. Peter Jackson. I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of Peter Jackson in the world. Not that I think that he's bad or anything like that, but I just, I'm not someone who's going to rush out to see every single Peter Jackson movie, you know, blindly. Same. So, yeah. you know, yeah. So has he made a movie since the Hobbit? Oh yeah. He did. They shall not grow old. I forgot about that. And that was a superb film. They shall not yeah. grow old. They're wonderful. bringing that back to theaters next month. Oh, I would love to see that in the theater. Oh my yeah. gosh. Would I love to see that in the theater? It's strange, you know, because he had that come out as like a two-day whatever Fathom event thing. And then at the same time, he was producing and writing Mortal Engines, which was supposed to be like, you know, the next the next Hunger Games or whatever. Yeah. And that movie bombed at the box office so bad that They Shall Not Grow Old actually made more money than Mortal Engines did. So. I, I wish that... Uh, they Shall Not Grow Old made more money just on virtue of the fact that it's such an excellent film and does such a tremendous job of uh, humanizing and um, contextualizing World War One. Yeah. You know, it's sort of a war that's not really talked about anymore. Yeah. I missed it the first time around, but I might try to catch it this time. If I can find it in 3D. I think that's the key. I would actually like to see it in 3D because I know they went to great effort for that yeah yeah all right so on november 18th later on that week there were five movies that came out yeah first up uh i don't know how much money it made i don't know where it ranked in the box office but it uh, was 43 percent positive on rotten tomatoes so the least well-received movie of the week pontiac moon yeah Starring Ted Danson. Yep. Have you seen this? No, I got burned on a Ted Danson movie earlier this year. So, uh-huh. um, but you know what? I've learned. I've learned over the months. Burn me once. Shame on you. Burn me twice. Shame on me. Hard pass. Hard pass. Yeah, I watched the trailer and it, it like takes place like right around the time of the moon landing. Yep. And like this guy takes his kid and they're going to go driving to like some random place called like moon tower or something because they're the, they figure it out so that the, the mileage on their Pontiac will match the mileage on the spaceship going to the moon. Yeah. So they'll hit that at the same time, but there's like a whole thing. I mean, uh, it looked really bad. It looked really bad. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, but number 11 at the box office with $3.2 million and 55% positive on Rotten Tomatoes, The Swan Princess. Have you seen this? No, because I watched Thumbelina earlier this year and I didn't want mm. to watch The Swan Princess. Yeah, it doesn't look good. No. I, uh, you know, again, I'm applying lessons learned uh, yeah. at this late late stage in the game. Yeah. Okay, number seven at the box office with $4.3 million, surprisingly, and 59% positive on Rotten Tomatoes, Miracle on 34th Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I still haven't seen this one myself. I've seen the original. Okay, seen the original. Yeah, I, I no. I, I don't want to see a remake of Miracle on 34th Street. I was against it at the time. I don't have any sort of like principled stand against remakes, but the first one is so just indelibly wonderful that I don't, I don't want to see a remake. I have no interest in it. I I mean, I've talked to numerous people who say that they think this one's better than the original. I don't know. That's all well and good. Yeah. But no, I'm, you know, I'm not a super duper huge fan of the first one. I don't have anything against it, but it's, it's not really like, a part of my my life really because my mom wouldn't let me watch it as a kid um because please please un- peel that onion for me let me know why 
Because it starts with the premise mm-hmm. that Santa Claus, like it's built on the premise that Santa Claus does not exist, right? Okay. You eventually get to Santa Claus does exist, mm-hmm. but you have to start with all of the adults saying, this is ridiculous. Why do you think that Santa Claus exists, right? Mm -hmm. So that reality that it creates when applied to our world, since obviously, you know, even though I'm not smart enough to realize that there is no Santa Claus, I am smart enough to realize that this is a fictional story. Mm -hmm. So so there's that, that implies that there's no Santa Claus. So she didn't want me to see that because she didn't want to plant that uh, seed in my head. Okay. I mean, I can't, I, I don't, I don't disrespect that, that line of thought. I I get that. Um, I don't know that I go along because again, like you said, with the ending, you know, like I, I think it makes the ending that much better because it's like, oh no, I was right all along sort of thing. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I it, It's weird. It's weird that, that this movie came out just a week after the Santa Claus. Yeah. And while the Santa Claus obviously was the much bigger movie and is considered to be, you know, somewhat of a classic. I mean, this this movie is considered to be a classic now, too. The remake? Probably more so than the Santa Claus. Wait, the remake of Miracle on 34th Street? Yeah. Cons- huh. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I can just tell you from, you know, personal experience that the the requests that that theaters receive to re- to show this movie are almost as much as the original. So, oh, maybe I do need to see it. Yeah. Mm, maybe. 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 Anyway, another classic came out this week came in at number four at the box office. And this is shocking to me. I mean, like just the idea that miracle on 34th street only made $4 million. Like that blows my mind because we're still talking about that movie now. But anyway, number four at the box office was $7.9 million and 72% positive on rotten tomatoes. Leon. Mm, So it was called the professional when it was released here in 1994. That's true. But now it's called Leon. Well, Leon was the name of the European cut or whatever that we had to wait an interminably long time or interminably, however you want to pronounce the word, uh, long time to get that European cut delivered unto us. Yeah, but now that it's here, I mean, that's all we watch, right? I mean, I've never seen the original cut. I saw the original cut. The original professional was actually this is this is the odd symbiotic relationship that Star Trek Generations and the professional have for me is the week that Star Trek Generations comes out, I see Star Trek Generations. I see it with a group of friends. And among this group of friends is an acquaintance. Um, I won't mention her name because she, you know, like, I don't know. I don't like dropping people's names when they don't, you know, well, whatever. Except for my friend Joey, who I don't mind dragging at any point. But um, was a girl. Uh, to whom I had taken an interest. And after Star Trek Generations, I was hanging with my buddy Mike, who had dated her briefly. And I said, I really, really kind of dig her. You know, I'm thinking about going up and asking her out. He's like, yeah, do it. It's like, okay. So I walked up, you know, from his dorm room to her dorm room, like two floors up. And I'm like, hey, you know, you want to go out and see a movie next week? Yes. So right after Star Trek Generations, I wound up going out on, a date with her, and w- what's the movie I take her to go see? <laughs> the Professional. What's Screw that? romantic movies. No. If you're going to be in a relationship with me, you're going to know what you're getting into from the start. And um, she really enjoyed The Professional, as did I. That's, that's good. Yeah. yeah. I, I saw it uh, probably, I don't know, seven or eight years after it came out, and mm-hmm. I watched the director's cut. And, you know, I thought it was really good, too. I didn't have a chance to rewatch it for this, which I I want to do. I I feel like I need to watch it before the end of the year for my top 10. I don't know if it'll make it on there, but I feel like I need to see it again just to see. It's an excellent film. I I didn't have a chance to rewatch it, but I have the movie practically committed to memory. There there was a time, especially after I got my hands on the European cut where I would watch it every couple of months. 
Just yeah. because I think it's an incredible film. I really do. I think it's so... I mean, Natalie Portman gives such a performance. And even... I mean, everybody down to Danny Aiello, and I love Gary Oldman's performance in it as the crooked cop, is so clever, especially when you when he has his whole speech, when he's slaughtering the family, and mm-hmm. he starts talking uh, with the guy, and he uh, start, he goes, you know, he starts talking about what... Are you a fan of Mozart? You know, or, or you know, Mozart. I mean, he's a, he's a little light for this. He's like talking about how he likes Beethoven and everything like that. In retrospect, it's like, oh, that's kind of cute. So, because he yeah. played Beethoven in Immortal Beloved. So, oh, okay, yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah, no, no, it's it's really good, and you're right about the performances being great and everything. The action was really good, and you know, Jean Reno, uh, Natalie Portman. I mean, this was her big break in a yep. lot of ways, and. Um, you know, for years they were talking about doing a sequel in some way or another. And I mean, the most intriguing idea that I had heard was that, you know, Natalie Portman, you know, as an adult is now a cleaner herself, you know, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. I kind of like that idea, but they never did it. So what can you do? You know, I think that's fine. Like this is a movie where I could see an argument for a sequel, but I love the way that it ends so much. I love it's sort of like Terminator 2. Never called for a sequel, never needed a sequel. And the open ended way that it goes is perfectly fine. But I if anybody listening has not seen The Professional, yes, we both recommend the director's cut. uh, Leon or Leon the Professional more highly, but the professional is I I'd consider it required viewing from the nineteen nineties. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Okay, so number one at the box office with thirty five point eight million dollars and forty seven percent positive on Rotten Tomatoes, mm-hmm. Star Trek Generations. Yep. So this was the movie that got me to start going to the theater to see movies. You know, mm-hmm. I mean I had just become a, a Star Trek fan on Christmas Day, nineteen ninety-two, and you know the, a lot of these things were kind of like first-time things for me. Like even though like I quickly watched all of the movies and I watched all of the shows, it's like oh, there's a new series starting, you know, Voyager. Oh, there's a new series ending. Like I've never seen a series finale before. Well, no one else had either, really. You know, mm-hmm. th- there's a, a a new movie on the big screen. I've never seen Star Trek on the big screen before. What's that like? You know, so I, I went on the special Thursday night sneak preview at the Hillside Square Theater. There's two theaters right across the street from each other, Hillside Square and Hillside Mall. Unfortunately, they're now both churches, but, you know, whatever. At the time, you could go see basically everything that you wanted to, like right across the street from each other, right? Mm-hmm. And the Hillside Square was the the like the better of the two it like you could see things in 70 millimeter there and stuff like that the hillside mall was like this teeny tiny thing across the street and it was weird and now they're both gone but at the time this is where we went to see star trek generations and it was something that I had never experienced before Mm -hmm, seeing mm -hmm. something on the big screen, you know, Um, like that and opening night, counting down the days, you know, I went with my, my uh, uncle Gene and my cousin Alex and, you know, it it was seeing Star Trek with a crowd of of appreciative people. It was, uh, it was something cool. It it was, it changed my life in a lot of ways. You know, I, 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 saw the movie in the theater four times it blew me away you know surely i i my opinion of it was inflated by the fact that this was all brand new to me but i i did really really love it and i still really love it even though i can see its flaws but i do think that it is a good movie but i i did re-watch this movie at exactly 7 p.m. on, you know, November 17th, you know, which is when it, it, I had seen it just for, I, I, I wanted to go because I, I always drive past the Hillside Square 
theater thing. Mm-hmm. It's not not anymore. But you know, I, the building is still there, and they've still got like a huge parking lot and everything. And I wanted to go and just like, you know, look at it and stuff. Yeah. But I didn't want to be like creepy. I didn't want to like freak people out. I'm like, it's a Sunday, so there's probably actually going to be people there. You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, it was a uh, it, it, it was a cool. It was a fun day. Anyway. Yeah. 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 So, so did you see this in the theater? You know, I did. Of course, yeah. I did. I was okay. yes, huge Star Trek: The Next Generation fan. All my friends that previously mentioned Calverton uh, movie theater, Center Park. You know that they had is two. Is that one gone now too, or not? No, I think that one. I think it's still around. You, you no. found it for me. You found the okay. listing for me. Yeah. Uh, I don't live anywhere near it, so I, I haven't. Um, I haven't done uh, the real homework, but I'm I'm fairly certain it'd still be around. Um, okay. But um, yes, it was shown in their two big theaters, and um, you know my friend my friend Joey saw the showing either before me or after. Like he was in like we we were offset by one hour sort of thing. I think he started the showing an hour after me. And I so I met up with him afterwards, sort of thing, with my group of friends. And Joey always hated that group of friends, and that group of friends always hated Joey. And it was always so much fun because yeah. why do I always have to have one foot in two worlds? Why? Why can't I just have everybody get along, Mike? I don't uh, know. That's how it is with everyone, right? Yes. I, I mean, I think everybody has that. They have like the one friend who they like, but everybody else hates. Yeah. Well, the thing is, not everybody hated him, but there was one guy in that group. Uh, his name was Steve, and. Boy, did they hate each other. I mean, it yeah. was it got to the point where we just couldn't like it was just it wasn't possible anymore. If Steve was going to be there, Joey was not and vice versa. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, and I remember uh, liking it. I remember to a person, everybody's reaction was all good things was better. Um, we all liked all good things more. I remember while watching the movie for the first time, the two shots saying, oh, that's from Star Trek Six, Yeah. And then reading a thing where, like, Rick Berman was like, this is, you know, Star Trek movies always reuse special effects shots from previous movies, and we only reuse two, and I defy anybody to know which ones they were. And I was like, oh, no, I spotted them. Come on, dude. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty obvious. I yeah. Mean, yeah. But uh, I remember that there were reports of people applauding when the dish section of the Enterprise-D crash landed because the effects were so good sort of thing. And I remember that happened in my showing. And I remember thinking at the time, wow, that's really well done. You know, yeah, it's, you know, it's miniature work and stuff like that. But I was like, wow, that, that actually, that looked really cool. Uh, and I remember Joey coming out and saying, the idiots were all applauding when the dish section crashed. I was like, well, no, they weren't applauding that it crashed. They were applauding because it just looked really cool. He's like, that's stupid. I was like, no, people were appreciating art. Like, that's fine. Like, they're not happy that it crashed. And it was a whole thing. It was a whole <laughs> argument. Um, because that happens. Because why not? Um, but, yeah, I rewatched it for this. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know. I'm, yeah. I just, I'm just stealing your bit now. No, 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 no. no that's cool. That's I cool. Uh, I think there are pacing problems with it. I think that there... I think that it's obvious. They touted it at the time, but I think that there are looking at it through the lens of longtime fans, sort of nonsense. They touted the fact that they weren't original series fans, and I think that their treatment of Kirk shows that. I remember reading in Kirk's uh, Kirk's <laughs> Shatner's uh, Star Trek Memories book. Um, there was an epilogue where he was like, "Oh wait, they're going to reshoot the ending. Maybe Captain Kirk isn't going to die after all," and like knowing the way that they originally killed him was he just jumped down and Soren shot him in the back. Mm-hmm. The ending they reshot much stronger. Still not great. Uh, especially because Kirk climbed, was free climbing Yosemite in Star Trek V. He would not have been scared of a little bridge jump like that. Um, at all. But, uh, you know, there, there are certain things where he's like, oh, this is, you know, when I was going to tell Antonia, I was, I was like, what, 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 Carol Marcus would be a much better reference at this point. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but I think that as looking at it as a non-fan, the data subplot really detracts from a lot of what they're doing with the other stuff. The, the whole stuff with, you know, um, Picard's brother and nephew dying is really well handled. There's some 
beautiful photography. There are some great lines, you know, time is the fire in which we burn, um, all of that stuff. But there's just sort of like a, a clumsiness to the way some of this is handled that, you know, it's, it's not one that I really particularly, like I go back to it, but it's sort of like the motion picture where it's like, I don't really enjoy it, but I don't hate it. And it's like, yeah, you know, sure. I'll, I'll rewatch it with heck sort of thing. Yeah. And the writers have talked about that, you know, the, the, the issue of like, um, they were given like a list of things that they had to do. Like you have to kill Kirk. You have to have Picard and Kirk together. You have to have uh, the subplot with data. You have to have the enterprise blow up. You have to have a con style villain. And it's like, okay, well now we need to create a story, which use, you know, it's almost like, um, you know, I, I don't know. It, 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 it's, it's like it's the like, iron chef. Here are your ingredients. Make something great. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, there's problems with that. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that they had like a competing script, which was also commissioned, you know, that's weird too. But whatever. Well, correct me if I'm wrong about this, but my memory is that they wanted Nimoy originally. Oh, and yeah. Nimoy you said, can totally tell. I want to rewrite this. And they said, no. This is our script. And Nimoy said that I'm not doing it. And then production got delayed because of the earthquake. That, that could be, I don't know about the production being delayed, but yeah, they wanted Nimoy to direct. Well, they wanted Nimoy to be in it. And Nimoy was like, if I'm going to be in it, I want to direct it. And they said, fine, that's great. And then he said, well, I'm not going to direct the script. I would want to rewrite it. And they were like, well, we don't have time for that. So, no, you can't do it. And he's like, well, then fine. I'm not going to direct it and I'm not going to be in it. And that's when, you know, I think um, they, they got rid of Bones, too, essentially, and just picked two random people. But you can totally tell that the, those three characters were supposed to be Kirk, mm-hmm. Spock, and Bones. I mean, Chekhov bringing a bunch of people down to sick bay. Yeah. You know, like... And there's even that line from Scotty, which it plays differently when he says it, but it's such a, a Spock line where he's like, Captain, is there something wrong with your chair? You know, yeah. I mean, just like you can totally tell that that's what they were doing there. But, you know, whatever. It, it is what it is. You know, but, but, but I mean, there's some good part. I think anytime, but I'm, I'm biased, of course, because I'm a fan of his style. But anytime Shatner's on screen, the movie comes alive. Because he's such, he's so good at being him in front of the camera that it's like, it's a warm salve. It's like, oh, okay. All right. Yeah. My old buddy's here. Okay, cool. We can hang out sort of thing. Yeah. And then, you know, when, when Stuart's on screen, it's like, oh, the actor is here. Yes. Yeah. All right. We're going to get some acting going on here. <laughs> the sort of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I still like it. You know, I, I, I still think it's really good, but um, I, I do see the flaws now with with time. Yeah. So, And it's yeah. it's fine to let your heart win out, man. You know, isn't that the point of Star Trek? That's not all about logic. That's also about so. your heart. I, I guess I guess yeah. that's what it is. It is. I don't know. It is. I don't know. Oh, well, what can you do? Um, all right. So now we're into Thanksgiving week. November 23rd, which is a Wednesday, is when most of these movies came out, although there was one movie which came out on November 25th. Uh, So starting up with something that I couldn't find any box office info on, uh, but has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, Three Colors Red. Yeah, which ties into, what was it, Three Colors White and Three Colors Blue. and Yeah. Yeah. There was blue, white, and red, you know, each one. Uh, features like a different set of characters. They're independent stories, but they you'll see characters from one in another and that sort of thing. Um, so I, I watched the other two, and uh, of course I was going to watch this one too. This is the one which is considered to be like the masterpiece. So I, okay. I had to. Did you watch it? Uh, no, I did not. Okay. Um, it's good. It's... Uh, I don't think it's the best of the trilogy. I would put it in the middle. I think blue is the best. I think most people would go red, blue, white. I go blue, red, white. But 
Um, it's a movie. It's about like this woman who she's a student and she's a, like a model, and she's got a boyfriend who's you know traveling for business all around Europe, and he's all suspicious of her cheating on him, but she really loves him, and she hits a dog and takes the dog to a to, to the owner who has absolutely no interest and it turns out that the owner is this guy who um basically lives by himself and has some sort of weird thing going on where he's able to tap into his neighbor's phone lines and listen to their phone conversations and he does this I guess just out of loneliness and she like befriends him and it sort of becomes this whole thing of like this ethical debate and all this other stuff and, you know, why people do these things and, you know, uh, all that stuff. And it's good. You know, I don't think it's the masterpiece that people think that it is. I I do find it to be sort of an interesting character study. Uh, I think you know, maybe they go a little bit crazy with the red imagery. Like, I mean, they did that with the blue and the white, but maybe there's just more natural blue and white in in the world and it doesn't really seem heavy-handed. But, like, with this one, like, every single scene, like, everything is red. It's pretty crazy. But Well, red would be more uh, more jarring and more noticeable anyway because it's just, it's it provokes that sort of primal reaction Anyway, yeah. that's, that's why, like, I, you know, they, they've said that uh, in retrospect, they never should have made red lights red or brake lights red because mm. that contributes to people getting angry and agitated in traffic because huh. red, red just registers with you like that. Sorry for that color theory detour. Sorry no, no, no. That's it's interesting for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing is decent, but then it ends. And I don't know, I need to go back and watch the other two, but the ending for this movie is super weird and feels super out of place and super pretentious. Um, but aside from that, it's pretty good. Wait, a super pretentious ending in a French film? Go on, yeah, Mike. What are you talking about? Come on. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But there were some other movies that came out uh, this week. Number 16 at the box office with $0.1 million and 74% on Rotten Tomatoes, Mrs. Parker and the Vicious Circle. Which I wanted this? to see. I wanted to yeah. see back then, and I wanted to see now, but I was not able to um, get to it. No, it looked cool, you know. Directed by Alan Rudolph and yeah. uh, produced by Robert Altman, and it looked cool. Yeah, um, yeah. Robert Altman, you know, he produced a lot of Alan Rudolph movies, and people because Rudolph used to be his assistant, and Altman's like, yeah, I'm more interested in seeing what he has to say than I am. And what I have to say. So, uh, so there you, you know, go. As much as I'm not exactly a huge, um, you know, a huge fan of Altman, it, like in terms of his work or anything, his attitude has always been something that's always stood out. Like he's always, you know, like the the artists who are truly supportive of other artists is yeah. always like I like it's always so nice. It's you know you, you find out all the work that Scorsese does or Coppola does or. Lucas does to support other artists and it's like Altman's in that camp too where it's like I want to help and elevate other people you know get their voices out there I like that yep yeah. yep all right number 11 at the box office with 3.8 million dollars and 21 percent on Rotten Tomatoes the page master yes the page master Starring Macaulay Culkin. Mm-hmm. And Christopher and Lloyd. Then, yeah, and, and it's like live action and animation, yeah. live action directed by Joe Johnston. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Did you sure. watch this? I did. Had I you did. seen it before? Oh, no. 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 I watched it for this. Yeah? Yeah. What'd you think? Uh, the way I would phrase it is that it has um, all the verve of a library PSA and half of the charm. Uh, I don't know who the intended audience was uh, or if there was an intended audience, but it is like getting a lecture from your father about how those darn kids need to get out there and read more books. And when he was a kid, he didn't need television. He just read books and that taught him to be adventurous. And and it's like, (laughs) 
it's seriously, it's like just one of those lectures where it's like, I get it. You read Jules Verne. Fine. <laughs> I don't care. Um, you know, I, I want to be generous to it and be like, oh, well, you know, it's a nice mess. No, no, it's this is a clumsy attempt to try to challenge Disney's animation dominance. And it just ain't happening with this. It's. Oof, no, this is this is a tur. Hey, you know what? Happy Thanksgiving. This one's a turkey. There you go. Print it. Print it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, see, I, I remember it coming out because the the only reason, and I don't know why I remember this and whatever, but um, on my third viewing of of Star Trek Generations, which was on Black Friday, uh, I went with my mom to see it at Yorktown because they had a THX cinema. Ooh. And I'm like, this is going to be amazing, right? Yeah. Another cinema which is gone. What's with all these cinemas closing? And well, I mean, they tore that one down and built a new one, which was like kind of cookie cuttery. But it's like, this wasn't... Why, why do these theaters have to close? I'm sick and tired of theaters closing. Well, it's the same reason... Listen, okay, fine. I'll put on my old man hat and start yelling <laughs> at a cloud here. It's the same reason yeah. that, like, the, you know, independent bookstores and coffee stores are going away because everybody wants a Starbucks and a Barnes & Noble. It's like, go screw. I want the I want the character. I want the flavor of the town. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's true. It's true. Ugh. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and that's what the thing... I Like, I think about, like... So I saw Generations at Hill Hillside Square... Yeah. And 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 the Yorktown, and then I saw the first contact at um, Oak Brook, and then I saw, well, I saw the, the the next one at the New Yorktown. But like Oak Brook is gone. Well, now there's a new one there, but they tore that the one that I saw it at down and built a new thing, and like ten years later, you know. Yeah. But it's like all these. Th- theaters that i saw all the star trek movies at are all gone now so star trek kills theaters <laughs> there's the conclusion yeah everybody just and then, then they they you know come out on cbs all access and everybody just goes home and watches them there you go but now star trek is back noah holly hey right i'm excited i'm excited too anyway um, so, so the only reason why I remember the page master is because when I was seeing that there was like a group of kids, like little kids that were like there watching Star Trek and they were like sitting in the front of the theater and there were like three, like 20 year olds sitting behind us. And one of them was like, what's with all these kids? What are the, what are all these kids doing here watching Star Trek? Shouldn't they be watching the page master? <laughs> No, 20 year olds. No, No, I'm glad that those kids were watching Star Trek instead. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Anyway, um, so next up, number five at the box office, but nine point six million dollars and a a very impressive zero (laughs) percent on Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) A low down, dirty shame. Yeah. This is a Keenan Ivory Wayans movie. Yeah, which is why I almost watched it. Yeah, I mean, I saw the trailer and I'm like, this doesn't look bad. Yeah, it doesn't look zero percent bad, you know. Yeah, it's like a private detective named Shame. Yeah, I mean, well, I remember. It, it I seems, wanted, I wanted to see it back when it got released too. It, it looks like it, it could be it. okay. Yeah, certainly looks better than most Keenan Ivory Wayans movies. I can promise you, it's better than The Page Master. <laughs> there well, you I, go. I can't promise that, but I'm pretty sure that I'm. I would have preferred seeing that instead of the Page Master. I'm pretty sure it's better than the number four movie for the week, which was. Well, it, it made 11.5 million dollars and had 36 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Junior. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. I saw this movie, I don't know, like five years ago, six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I always kind of wanted to because of Ivan Reitman directing it. Yeah. But like we were like wrapping up our show commentary track stars and doing commentaries for various movies. And we were inviting all of our guests back and letting them pick the movies. Yeah. And this one jerk picked uh, Junior. Uh-huh. It, it was bad. 
I had never seen it before. I watched. Did it you for watch this. it for this? Oh, you know I did. I watched <laughs> it for this goddamn show, Mike. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's garbage. It is garbage. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, it is. Oh wow. Um, I really think the title should have just been and it like with question marks and exclamation points a pregnant terminator because that's the whole premise yep yep and um, how do they get emma thompson to be in this movie i don't know yeah you know what maybe it's because uh she had just broken up with brano and he was coming out with frankenstein she was like fine i could do a stupid movie too um yeah hers was dumber but uh i can i can say that this has made me terrified with the prospect of going back and rewatching Twins because I saw Twins in the movie theater. I was much younger, and I remember thinking Twins was funny. I didn't really like the ending. It was sort of clunky and everything, but, like, this is the crew that brought you Twins, right? Yeah. It's got to yeah. work okay. It's got to at least be all right. Nope. It the isn't. premise is, is it, it's a lot to overcome. Yes, it is. It really is. And even Frank Langella being his most Frank Langella-ish cannot help this movie. Mm -hmm. And that's saying something because I love Frank Langella. Every time I see him on screen, I'm like, oh, yeah, Frank Langella. Cool. I love the guy. I think he's terrific. I went out of my way and saw one of the worst shows I've ever seen on stage because Frank Langella was in it. And it, it was uh, the musical. Remember that musical version of A Christmas Carol with Kelsey Grammer that was on TV? No, not no. really. Yeah, well, it's terrible. And I saw the terrible stage version of it. <laughs> but when Frank Langella was in it. Um, oh. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so all that just to say, not even he could help this. And it's yeah. this movie's this movie's bad. It's really, really. I would I would honestly love to sit down with somebody who like loved this movie not in an aggressive way not in a an adversarial way but because i really want to try to understand what they saw that i didn't because i saw nothing really of value in this movie yeah i mean it's one in three critics liked it it's weird yeah anyway there was one more movie that came out this week on the friday Mm-hmm. Don't don't ever do that. Don't ever release a, a movie the day after Thanksgiving because it just throws movie schedules into chaos. Okay, just don't oh, yeah. do it. Bad plan. Anyway, Camilla, uh, which I don't know how much it made, but it got forty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It stars Bridget Fonda's like a woman who hangs out with an older woman, and the two of them go on a road trip and find themselves together or something. It doesn't look good. I it, let, me, let me put it to you this way. I watched the trailer, and my wife was sitting here watching all these trailers with me, and I got to the end of the trailer, and I was thinking, that, that looks terrible. And my wife says, that might be good. That kind of looks like my kind of movie. And I'm like, really? And she said, well, I kind of dozed off in the middle of it, but <laughs> like, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's a ringing endorsement. Yep. So movies to uh, doze by. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Trailers to doze by. Trailers so, to doze by. So I mean, uh, I would say, I mean, out of all these, the only two that I saw, you know, were Junior and Three Colors Red. But I would recommend Three Colors Red. What would What would you recommend for the week? Anything but Junior or the Page Master. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Three Colors Red. It is. Yeah. You know what? I'll, <laughs> default victory. I'll give it to Red. <laughs> Go for it. All right. Um, so that's it for uh, this month. And uh, next week, December 2nd, there are three movies. Cobb, Tom and Viv, mm-hmm. and Trapped in Paradise. Mm-hmm. So we, we will take a look at those next time. But until then, John, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me being thankful for all of the movies that are helping reinforce my preconceived notions of what I like and dislike. Uh, you can find me as Kessel Junkie on Twitter and Letterboxd. And you can find me uh, actually here on the network co-hosting a Star Wars podcast of a different type called Aggressive Negotiations. And this week we are having our annual Thanks Gungan episode. 
So check that out. Thanks. Okay. Thanks, cool. Gungan. It's our third annual Thanks, Gungan. It's oh, where cool. we, we reflect and we give thanks for everything that is that has been going well and that we've enjoyed in the Star Wars franchise over the last year. Things that are, are positive and terrific and that we really, really are grateful that they have produced and released like The Mandalorian. So when you're living by your own code, Mike, online, where can people find you? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mumbles3K, and you can also find me on uh, Trek.fm doing a show called Tracks on the Line, where we uh, do audio commentaries for Star Trek Picard episodes and Tracks from the Edge, where we do audio commentaries for Star Trek Discovery episodes. And you can find me on FilmDamagePod.com doing a show called Film Damage. We just uh, released an episode from our commentary track stars vault with our Charlie's angels commentary with some secret origin stuff for Max and myself. So check that out. And I very, very soon uh, you'll be able to find me on talk film society doing a show called Bayhem, where we take a look at all of Michael Bay's movies. Nice. So that's it for November. We'll be back next week with some more movies to discuss but until then be kind rewind and happy thanksgiving join the revolution join the nerd party